Totally Football Show with another World Cup special. Weekend's results feature more nils than a Swedish phone book and we round up the action. Italy producing their worst game ever. Hold my beer, say Ireland. But after O'Neill's men did a fair impression of something rotten in the state of Denmark, what will the second legs hold? And is it time to ice Ventura? Also, what's the most wrong you've ever been about a footballer, which may have something to do with David Silva's performance in Spain, Costa Rica? Blackpool is the oyster nightmare over. And can we talk about the tangerine dream? Goalkeeping, how hard can it be? And so much more in this Totally Football Show. And here they are, everybody, your top panel for today. We've got uh, outspoken exponent of the no-walls philosophy, David Priest. Good morning. Good morning to you, David, and how spiffy you're looking. Thank you very much for that, James. You're not looking bad yourself. Well, you're, you're kind, but I don't think I've made as much effort as you have. Also here, James, who is unable to talk almost with the tension riding... Uh, James Horncastle, this is, uh, for the, the tension ahead of Italy, Sweden this evening at San Siro, James. Tack. Is that y- yes in Swedish? It is, yeah. Oh, a nice one. Yeah. And also, Oily Sailor, by night known as Duncan Alexander, key Hello. member of the Opta team who has opted to join us today. Uh, a lot of people, Duncan, excited about the Opta quiz, which was last week. They were excited, yeah. And uh, Lewis Matthews says, did the Totally Show compete? No, we didn't. We, did, we were, I don't think we were you invited. Were, you got invited, yeah. Yeah, we, but we won. I mean, I mean, you would have won clearly. Yeah. This is basically teams from all across the the football broadcasting world. Yeah, yeah from the industry. So industry, it usually yeah. it usually ends as a battle between the kind of research teams at Sky and BT, which mm. obviously you know has its own rivalry. So yeah. well, and this time BT won. So, BT won. Yeah. How much of a historic um, event was that? Was it their first win? I think in... it was their second one. I think yeah. Sky have won four. So it it was, was, they're the old firm. Yeah. Have the you ever taken part in this game? Oh yeah, yeah. With what in what team? Guys, it's a few years ago now. I can't mm. remember what the team was. Four four two, I think. Yeah. I think maybe I was on BT one year. Okay. Maybe the first year. All right. But yeah, now it seems to be very much kind of Federer and Nadal between those two. Yeah, they're, just, they're just always passing it around themselves. I I can't imagine the level of questions that would get asked at that high end of a quiz. Um, do you have any examples with you? I do, yeah. I've actually got the whole thing, but that would take uh, a long time to go through. But there's a few from the World Cup, so uh, should we? I'll read a few out, why not? Go on, yeah. So, um, here we go, listeners. Here we go. Who is the only player to win or share the Golden Boot at a World Cup whose team didn't make it out of the group stage or the first round? All right, OK. We'll, we'll get the answers later on, yeah? Have you got yeah, a couple of Yeah, we'll do the answers later. Um, who is the only England player to score at three different World Cups? Yeah. Uh, who is who is the only player to score a hat trick in successive World Cup tournaments? Oof. Oof, tough. All right, no googling, listeners. Um, and then last one: Ooh. Who is the only nation to have played just one solitary game at a World Cup? Just the one. Just one match. Ooh. Ooh, I imagine that must be going back a bit. It is going back a bit. Right. That's interesting. Okay. Do you, do you think you know that one, David? Don't know any of them. Right. We'll, got, we'll, we'll get the answers play. later on, uh, listeners. Because, my word, what a weekend for football. Some of the results, England, Germany, nil-nil. Denmark, Ireland, uh, nil-nil. Honduras, Australia and New Zealand, Peru, both nil-nil. Sweden, Italy, one-nil. And two legs of Northern Ireland, Switzerland, one massively controversial penalty in the first leg. Should we start with that? Yeah, why not? Should we start with that? It was It was nil-nil in the second, of course. And Switzerland looked the better side, but... It's hard to get past that penalty decision. It is, but um, I, so I don't get about referees and make decisions like this. 
it's something that didn't happen. And I know that talking to Howard Webb uh, a little while ago, he said that referees are encouraged to use their experience. Mm. So that's the only thing I can I can think of in this instance that he's used his experience, seen where the ball's gone, see where the arm's been raised, and he's come to the decision that it's hit his hand. Well, we obviously know it hit his. It's kind of like his shoulder blade area, wasn't mm. it? Yeah. So it's and Switzerland were the by far the better side. They, they should have, they dominated the, the second game as well. They had a lot of chances. They created a lot of chances. That said, I mean that, that that said, if they didn't score the goals, and, and Northern Ireland themselves came ever so close. Possibly the best bit of goalkeeping of the entire weekend, in fact, was uh, Ricardo. Rodriguez. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Clearing off Johnny <laughs> yeah. Evans's. Who is the Swiss national hero now? Because he scored the penalty mm. in the in the first leg and obviously made that goal line clearance uh, in the second leg. Um, but a heartbreak for. For well, Northern Ireland and Jerry Armstrong in particular. <laughs> yeah, who uh, the best bit of his commentary was, well, I can't hear those cowbells ringing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't understand. Uh, I mean, you'd have to roll this around, not just in Europe, but in, in Africa, South America um, as well. But I don't understand why you can't have video-assisted referees You know, when these are playoffs with so much at stake for, um, for, for, for nations like Northern Ireland who, yeah, okay... Switzerland did have the better in chances, but they're, I think, very right to be aggrieved that such mm. a that at the, at the end of the day, all that separating those two teams is a wrong decision by a referee. Yeah, I mean, it would have been quite harsh for Switzerland not to get to the World Cup, given they won what nine of their ten qualifiers. Um, they were pretty near perfect um, uh, in their group, so yes, it's a bitter pill to swallow for. Uh, for Northern Ireland, but I, I imagine if the boot were on the other foot as well, it wouldn't have been uh, easy to take either. There's winners and there's losers yes. in international football. As for Michael O'Neill, well, I guess we'll wait to see what he uh, decides to do with his future because his, his name has been linked with all sorts of jobs. There's the vacant Scotland position, uh, the appetising job uh, on offer at Sunderland as well. Duncan, are you one of the, the many who thinks that he should just slot straight into a big club? It's quite a big jump, isn't it? I mean, I think we can all remember Laurie Sanchez doing pretty well at Northern Ireland and then going to the Premier League at Fulham and trying to sign the Northern Ireland team mm. and they, they weren't that good in the Premier League. So to be fair to Laurie, if matches had finished after 45 minutes, his team would have been top of the league. Yeah, he's also the only man I've ever seen who on his own website, rather than have a win percentage, he has a win and draw percentage that's a little bit higher. That's a nice, nice touch Team if sure statistically weak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, well, the commiserations, Northern Ireland, uh, but Switzerland go through to their fourth straight uh, World Cup and they're probably the better team, probably, in all fairness. Meanwhile, Italy, James, 90 minutes from the apocalypse, <laughs> from the apocachopolis, <laughs> calchopolis, yeah, from disaster. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Tonight at San Siro, Oof. they want they want a, a notte magica. That's yeah. what they're looking for. Like they had Italian ninety, and do they need one? I think uh, the result wasn't only bad um, on on Friday night when they lost um, in Stockholm one nil. I think it was the performance mm. that was worse, and and uh, vast sections of the Italian media have very little faith that seventy two hours is enough for them to come up with something that would turn this tie around. Um, what they say is going to happen is, uh, of course, Verratti suspended, which may or may not be a bad thing. Uh, Jorginho 
will be given his debut mm-hmm. in a system that he's not used to with Gabbiadini taking the place of Bellotti up front. That's Gabbiadini who scored three goals in his 14 matches. What are you going to be doing next summer, do you think? <laughs> I was talking with the wife uh, last night about uh, maybe holidaying in Japan. We might, you know, we might do something completely different. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. But- well... Uh, as you say, the, the performance, as much as the scoreline was what worried everyone. Bellotti did have that heading ch- headed chance early on. That the Damian shot off the post was an absolute uh, well thunderbolt. But that was all they mustered. Italians pride themselves on being great strategists. Uh, it's the country of, of Machiavelli. And uh, they got completely outsmarted in this game because it was clear what Sweden wanted to do. They wanted to make it a physical game. And Italy let them make it a physical game. Um, And I think Sweden, I say this with all respect to them, brought Italy down to their level because they knew they could beat them at that level. Um, I think Italy, if they basically had any kind of structured coherence and said, actually, we're going to make this game about skill, they would they would have had a better chance um, and instead they didn't do that and I think that's that's down to the manager it's also down to the, the sort of system change that he improvised um, before this game going back to the 3-5-2 that they played in the Euros but that means that those best players that they've got like Insigne like El Shawari who's been in great form of late mm, were either, either on the bench or in the stands yeah. so um, they seem to keep beating themselves at the moment that starting 11 doesn't want to feel though does it? No and I, I think this is uh, Ventura keeps um, saying, making the excuse that, look, you can't have expected us to win a group which included Spain. We were always going to get into the playoffs. So we are where we should be. But yeah, the Italians say, well, Antonio Conte beat Spain. Um, with a, a starting with, 11, let's be fair, is possibly not even as good as this exactly. one. Exactly. And um, it's the manner in which they've gone into the playoffs, which is which is what's uh, worrying everybody. It's now three goals they've scored, three in their last five matches. Mm. Italy, uh, which is a, a real worry. And most of the debate in Italy, I guess, has been about Ventura and how quickly they can get rid of him and <laughs> how much he's to blame for all of this. There are some people talking about uh, the, the veterans and their power within the team, and that's what's been the real break on any kind of change w- within the side and, and what's been at the heart of their rather listless performances. Uh, tonight, I know you've got your luckiest of underwear on. <laughs> How I'm wearing blue and I've got a yellow microphone sort of mm. muff around me. I feel this is an omen for Sweden. All right. Um, we'll talk into that yellow muff then, James. <laughs> and tell us, what do you think? Michael Lustig's back for the Swedes? Mm-hmm. I think, uh, barring a miracle, Sweden. Sweden. They have a terrible home. record away from home. And, of course, I mean, this is the thing. Um, the uh, headline on Saturday in Gazzatella Sport was San Siro Pensaci Tu. Yeah, San Siro, it's up to you. Because Italy have never lost at San Siro. Um, they've got a great record there. Um, but I think when you're relying on the uh, the mystique of a stadium um, in order to get you through, that's worrying. And as, as Pirlo said, there was a great, Sky Italia had basically Pirlo. They had cameras in his New York loft apartment um, following him whilst he watched the game with his friends and a glass of wine. And, uh, yeah, he said, uh, I've never seen a stadium score a goal. I've never seen a fan score a goal. They need more than San Siro if they are right. to get through this game. Okay. So. Just going back to Friday night's match, was it the worst Italy performance you've ever seen? Ooh, I think uh, you go back to. I mean, this, to be honest, though, I mean, this has been trending. It's been trending towards this way because they've gone out in the group stages in, in each of the last two World Cups. Costa Rica mm. was a bad one, um, but in between those, they've they've done very well at the European Championships. That's the thing. Um, so yeah, worst. So probably worse since Costa Rica. Although Costa Rica were probably better than Sweden were on. Uh, Mm. On Friday night, so they certainly weren't this weekend when they faced Spain. 
Best of luck for this evening to both sides. It's going to be interesting to see what the mood's like on, on Thursday. Uh, of Do you course, think Eber will come out of retirement yeah, if they was, get the World Cup? I was going to say, it's kind of set up for that, isn't it? You know. <laughs> Do you think he would? Yeah, yeah it's definitely. Yeah. <laughs> As he said, a World Cup without Eber. You know, last time around. So he's got his chance now. Every day, millions of people go online to search for local businesses. The question is, though, does your small business show up? When you create a website on WordPress.com, you make it easier for your customers to find you, to connect with you, to hear how you can help them. Your business needs an online home. It needs a WordPress.com website. All WordPress plans include a custom domain name for the life of the plan and the customer support team is available to help 24-7. So never mind the high press, the low press or Jurgen Klopp's Gegen Press. Come and see why 28% of all websites run on WordPress. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to wordpress.com slash football to create your website and find the plan that's right for you. That's wordpress.com slash football for 15% off your brand new website. wordpress.com slash football. Now, there were all narrow scorelines if there was any scoring at all, the the, uh, playoffs, with the exception of Croatia and their victory at home to to mm. Greece, did you catch the goals? Were quite special. The second one, particularly. Yeah, they the were good. Game. I mean, they followed that up with a with a nil nil, mm. just to say they didn't feel left out for yep. the weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think what was interesting overall with all the games was that it, the standard of football is was pretty low. It was, uh, I mean, I think Sweden's pass completion was about seventy four percent. They had nine touches in the Italy box all match. Right. Um, didn't have a shot on target for the second half. I mean, it it's functional football, which you kind of expect because the prize is so big, but. You know, it's the way international football is kind of trending at the moment. Mm. Um, you know, you compare it to the Champions League, and it and it isn't as good. Um, and I think that is increasingly a problem for international football going forward. Bucking that trend though with Spain, did you catch any of their their clash with Costa Rica, at which they won five nil? Uh, two goals from David Silva, who was on fire. To be fair, he looked amazing. Yeah, he's got 11, I think he scored 11 of his last 15 but shots on target. He was all over the field and everything he seemed to do was effective, efficient. Mm. Um, and there was a wonderful chess control that he produced to tame and a misplaced pass to set up the, I think, the second goal from uh, Morata. And then his second goal, he basically, Bran Oviedo's got the, the ball out on the wing. And this player comes streaking in and does a perfect Maldini-esque sliding tackle, gets up and runs straight towards goal and fires it in and that is David Silva now I've had a bit of uh, <laughs> I've had a, I've caused a bit of consternation in the past by questioning just how effective he is as a football player enormously skilled but I didn't quite get his role in the pantheon of greats but I you've have got, to say you've come round now well Pep <laughs> certainly improved him in the last well, uh, it's quite interesting speaking about Pep and his impact on certain players did you see Kevin De Bruyne's comments about Roberto Martinez uh, this week no um, so, I mean, he, he gave the impression, even though Belgium qualified, I think, in record time, didn't they, with some games to spare, he was really critical after the Mexico game, saying that, um, you know, as long as they keep playing this system, um, they're not going to go anywhere, um, they're being held back, they've got so many good attacking players, and yet they play this very defensive formation, which is essentially, you know, what Chelsea play, you know, 3-4-2-1. 
Um, but uh, yeah, he feels it looks like he feels like he doesn't isn't able to express himself as well as he does for City in that in that uh, in that team, and was wow. frustrated is by it, it. Has he in any way suggested that it was all mistranslated that interview, or is he not yet? By those I'm words? waiting. Yeah, wait for that to happen. Yeah. That's that's uh, yeah, fairly strong stuff. Well, perhaps Kevin De Bruyne's form for City might that might spur uh, Silver on a little bit. You know, he's got a little bit of competition in there for for being. You know, he's been the the main man that type of player that City have always had. Right now, he's got competition. He's sort of raising his levels to keep up with everyone else. What's the player you've most got wrong? If, if, if for me, it's David Silva, although I did have a very ill-advised <laughs> Ill, Ill comment on Andrea Pirlo back in 2008. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> it was during the Euros when I, I described one of his performances as being like a human handbrake on the Italy <laughs> side. To be fair, that Italy were sluggish in that yeah. in that Euros. But but yeah, my, my David Silva issues, it's taken me a while to see the light. Have you, you guys got any player that you... Either wrote off and then had to... I think I, I definitely joined in with the Harry Kane first season. Yeah, he's probably not that good. Right. Bandwagon, but then everyone did. Yeah. So, and now he is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same. It was Harry Kane. I, I never really got him until I, till I started watching him live this season, until I watched him, it went the games to, to see him and yeah, appreciate fully what he did. Right. Uh, the one I was temporarily wrong about was uh, Andrea Anocchia. When he moved to Hull, I went onto the ra- I went on the radio and basically slated him and was like, "Oh, he's terrible. He's the worst player they could have signed. He's going to be an absolute flop." And I'm pretty sure he scored two in his first three yeah, games. But what you don't know and is he pinned that interview on the, <laughs> on the did, dressing yeah. room notice board. Yeah, I couldn't go back to Hull for for a long time. Yeah. All right, have you ever pinned anything on a dressing room wall? No, I don't think so. No, a manager perhaps. <laughs> no, no, but about air. Uh, the players you get wrong. I yeah. actually thought Carius would have been a good sign for Liverpool, and that's why I don't like him very much now because he's made me wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Poor Carius. Okay. Plus, of course, there was your prediction about Maribor Liverpool. Are, you, are we still? Got, <laughs> I'm still going on about this. That's why I've got the moustache. I've, I've had a, you have to change I've in disguise. <laughs> it's the last time I ever predict the score. <laughs> All right. Very good. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with. Hey, let's talk about England and their exciting nil-nil draw with Germany. Listeners, like a stat, have a go on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Duncan. Mm. Nil-nil with Germany. Yeah. Uh, a young England side. It uh, was, yeah. yeah. Uh, Loftus-Cheek played pretty well. Um Looked good actually. Uh, I think he created forty percent of the chances in that game that he has in his entire career at Chelsea. Really? In the League. Yeah. I was hoping it was. Is that gonna... a natural stat? Yeah, yeah. It's two, two against Germany, five uh, for Chelsea. Um, I was hoping he was going to reach five because he could have done. He actually looked like he would. But he okay, because he set up Tammy Abraham for one. Mm. Another former Chelsea boy. Right, and then there was a long ball over the top, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. No, like it, a Pirlo-esque. It was. Yeah. Yeah. No, he um he came into the game pretty well. I mean, these sort of games though, they're. England are in a, in a kind of strange one. I think it's it's partly to do with the fact that they've got to pay for Wembley, so they need big crowds. But they're, if you look at, I mean, recently the the, um, the friendlies have been Portugal, Spain, Germany, France, Germany again, Brazil this week, obviously, and it it kind of takes the the magic out of those games a bit because every friendly is a is a big match. I went back and looked at the in the mid nineties, and in consecutive home games, England had friendlies. Um, 
in the 90s of Bulgaria, Croatia, Hungary, Mexico, South Africa, Cameroon, Chile, Saudi Arabia. I mean, that was a, possibly not the right preparation for tournaments, but at least it was a bit of variety. And I think, you know, we played with Germany three times in the last 18 months. And can you, you remember? You can have too much for a good thing. You can indeed. All right. You were very excited about uh, Jordan Pickford's performance, David. You said, great to see a keeper who looked as though he enjoyed every minute playing for England and relished the task. An excellent debut from Pickford. Yeah, I mean, we've been used to Joe Hart being sort of all this pumped-up, chest-beaten and sort of putting a lot of pressure on himself and being very angry. And it was just nice to see somebody, every level he, he takes, when he takes a step up, he just uh, he tastes like a duck to water and it, it doesn't affect him at all. And it's, it's like he's just playing when he's a 15, 16-year-old kid and there's, it looks as if there's no pressure on him at all. Is Joe Hart going to be back in for the Brazil game? I would have, yeah. yeah, I would I would have thought so, but I think it's probably the right decision. I mean, I was hoping against all hopes that, uh, that, uh, that he wouldn't play and they play at Jordan Pickford in the, in the game against Germany because I think this one's going to have a, a lot more of a friendly feel to this one. There's going to be a lot of changes and I think uh, it's a lot more serious uh, the first game. So I'm glad he played that game. But then you don't want to push too much onto him, give him two games and give him too much. But I think that uh, it's the start of uh, him easing into the to the place. Right. I think it, because of his injury last time in the last uh, England, uh, England games, Butland got a, a head start on him in the last friendly so it's it, it, between those two I can see them both fighting it out because the, the more it goes on with uh, with Joe Hart's performances I mean he, he played well quite well the other way but it's just been a gradual decline for him Right, Butland he's of course got a broken finger now which he picked up on in the training Yeah, exactly Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, okay. it, it's unlikely for him yeah. Alright Positive though Duncan's young faces coming through Gareth Southgate former under 21 boss Bringing the new generation up. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's been some, you know, slightly insane calls to sort of already start drafting through players from the. That's me. <laughs> under 20. <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, wise calls to, to, um, to, you know, to bring in. But there is that generation, you know. I Jake think Livermore. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the next World Cup, we're, you know, we, we really can call on a, on, a, on a pretty strong set of players. But, you know, Southgate. Oh, you sound quietly confident. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, the next World Cup is a little bit up in the air for for other reasons. Right. I think. Um, but yeah, I think we're progressing. Well, I just said right. What what, what other reasons? Well, no, just the fact that you know Qatar and you know. oh that one you're talking about that World yeah, Cup. Yeah, I thought yeah. you meant no, the not summer. next year. Next year, I think England are going to do their usual Englandness. Oh, well, Brazil coming up at the end of this week. Brazil, who are fresh from a three-one win against uh, Japan in Lille, not against Lille. That would have been fun. Um, could have been four-one if. Neymar hadn't missed one of his penalties. He did a Zaza tribute. Yeah, he did the stutter and then the stop and then it... And he got it bang on by missing. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a perfect impression. And then afterwards, I don't know if you saw the post-game press conference in which he was there with Chito, the manager, Mm. and he's asked about the rumours that Julian Laurent's referenced here before that he doesn't get on with Emery, that he's spoken to the club about his PSG manager. Chita basically fields the question for him and says, listen, I've, and gives him a bit of a kind of testimonial as to his character. And, and, and Neymar has to leave in tears. He gets mm. so, so, yeah. Anyway, now, ooh, three more sides are through from Africa. David, do you know who they are? Oh, uh, Morocco. Yes. Irving Renard. Senegal. Yeah. Oh, man. Senegal is there, yeah. Who's managed by uh, Alou Sisse, who was in there 2002. Mm, that was the last time World they Cup's were part. at the World mm, Cup as well. Absolutely. Uh, and one more. Tunisia. Oof, Can you guess the score? Nil nil. Nil nil with uh, Libya. That was enough to take them through. The Eagles 
of Carthage. Ah, but Hervé Renard, I mean, mm. incredible. You think of his record, wins the African Cup of Nations with Zambia, which was already a miracle, then Ivory Coast, which you know, um, kind of brought the, the trophy that that golden generation felt it deserved, and now gets Morocco into the World Cup for the first time in 20 years. Wow, at without... the expense of Ivory Coast, mm. now managed by Mark Wilmot. Yeah, who he... Uh, Zambia, his Zambia side beat them in the final in 2012. He knocked them out in the group stages of the African Cup of Nations in 2017 and then he's come back to haunt them again this time around with uh, and I think this game was was kind of symbolic of what's what he's done with this Morocco side because they haven't conceded a single goal um, in in qualifying and uh, the guys who scored those goals were both defenders Mehdi Benatti and uh, Nabil Dirar so wow. we'll get to see um, the most handsome manager in football mm. at the World Cup for the first time. And his spotless white shirt, the Jamie yeah. Lannister, I mm. put it to you, of, of international football. Strong resemblance there. Uh, Wednesday, it's the second leg of uh, Australia-Honduras, and Thursday brings us Peru-New Zealand. It's quite late, isn't it, Thursday? You've got football coming up on the weekend. Mm. Well, what's the thinking there? Uh, that's all the international football we've got, actually. Still to come, Duncan will be revealing the answers to those exciting World Cup trivia questions from before. And we'll be finding out what's the state of play now at Bloomfield Road after last week's events regarding their infamous owners, the Oystons. But right now, let's take a quick break and then return with a special goalkeeping section. All right, listeners, if you've been waiting to hear David talk about Ebiskovdal... You're in luck, because Gavin Mayer says he wants that for the next hour. We haven't got an hour. Could you pick one anecdote? Yeah, he, he's quite good at his little scenes. He used to... Uh, this, this, sorry, just to say, this is your Aberdeen manager. Yeah. yeah. Old Aberdeen manager. Simon went from Darlington to Aberdeen when I first... Uh, obviously, when I went there. So he's... Uh, we, we, I think we're playing... It might be in Dundee, we're playing against a guy called Stephen Tweed, who was about six foot six, six foot seven, centre half. Obviously, a little bit... Uh, you know, I don't know, cumbersome. He's, he's, he wasn't the quickest of players, so we, we, we're going to target him, try and get the ball in behind him. And just, he, he said uh, we should try and put balls down the sides of him because he's stiff as a wedding tackle. That's a nice way. Yeah, it got the message across, didn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I don't know what it was a personal attack on him as well, his personality, but... I don't know. I mean, also, it's a, it's, a, it's a value judgment. It's, it's a bit subjective, isn't it? Mm. I mean, balls in behind, yeah. Nice. Mm. Nice. Really no need for that. But, uh, <laughs> goalkeeping news. Brad Friedel, uh, who was a goalkeeper, he was, but yeah. is now head coach of the New England Revolution. He is, yeah. I mean, uh, it, he hasn't got a lot of experience going into this one, so it's, I know there's a lot of question marks about him. Is lot, there? Well, yeah. I think uh, from what I've seen, uh, people in the... Uh, in around the MLS or do, MLS. Do goalkeepers make good managers? Dino's off. Yeah, there you go. Well, there are question marks over yeah, how, how successful he was. Walter Zenga certainly wasn't a shining example of the... Although no. he, 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 it was quantity, not quality, really, with him. He managed an awful lot of clubs and, and nations, didn't he? Yeah. I, I, th- I think it is with goalkeepers. If you, if you tell somebody to set a goalkeeper to set up a team, I can set up a team to not to get beat. Right. So and, and do half the job there straight away naturally as a, as a goalkeeper. Then still the other side of the game we probably struggle with a little bit. Which nation do you think produces the best goalkeepers, David? Germany. Really? At the, at the moment they are. I mean, do you know what? I mean, Switzerland uh, produces some good goalkeepers at the moment. Jan Sommer, I've been really impressed with him. Okay. And um, it was at uh, Dortmund. Berkey. Yeah, as well. Yeah. 
So they're producing some good, good, good. All right, because the states generally tend to have a... That tends to be their strongest position. Yeah, well, not the moment, though. I think yeah. once uh, Tim Howard goes, they're going to be struggling a little bit. But right. it was the same with Australia. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, right, got, you know yeah, with a lot of sports with sort of hand-eye coordination. Yes. Ireland. Also. Were you a fan... Of, that's another good shout. Were you a fan of Brad in his long and storied career? I was, yeah. I was almost a teammate of his. When I was at Sunderland, there was myself and Alec Chamberlain in... Uh, in pre-season meeting with Peter Reid, he kind of informed me that I would be his number two and that he'd be signing Brad Friedel. And in the end, uh, because of work permit, he couldn't get work permit from um, he got turned down for a work permit. And I think two, two or three months later, he signed for Liverpool. Right. The power of Anfield. Power of Anfield. Did you see Qatar's under-19 team were playing and the goalkeeper makes what he thinks is a vital shootout save. So he goes off celebrating, but the referee says no and then books him for a second yellow, I think, for coming off his line too early. So the captain, of the, who's a central midfielder, has to go in goal and he saves the penalty. I did see this, actually. Yeah. 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 And everyone goes crazy. In fact, the goalkeeper was busy leaving the stadium. He, he, somebody tapped him on the shoulder and says, no, he's, he's only gone and saved it. And he was he, back on the pitch. He's yeah. roaring back out. Yeah. Is the message here that anyone can do it, David? <laughs> Anybody can get lucky. Right. Yeah. Especially, I'm going to just show you penalty shootouts. What's the most difficult thing apart, well, penalties possibly, but what's the most difficult thing about being a keeper? Oh. Loneliness. <laughs> Maintaining concentration, that's what I would really do you, do, struggle do you know, with. Do you know what it is? It's when you've conceded a goal. And right. to, to stay in the game for that five minutes after you've conceded a goal, whether it's your fault or not, because you've got the opportunity, if you know, you're not touching the ball for another five minutes, maybe it's ten minutes, long periods. So when the ball's up the other end, it's very difficult not to go back and sort of uh, uh, go, th- go retrace your steps and maybe I should have been in this position, should have done there. Where, where was he? Should I have d- done this better? Should I have moved forward? Should I have been backwards? Change position. It, so it, you, you, it, it's hard to stay in the game and just to, and, and not try and recount your steps again. Yeah. Do you miss it? Yeah, I do, yeah. All right. <laughs> Still, you know, moved on to another chapter now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, do you know what? I, I, I don't miss... Uh, I didn't enjoy my football for a long time, so I don't miss that side of it because I put a lot of pressure on myself before games. Right. So, but, but then when, when it stops, you realise that you you miss that feeling of sort of... It's not anxiety, but like, you know, the, the nervous tension. You do miss it, and that's what you play the game for. So ahead of a Saturday, how much of the week would be spent with you worrying about how you were going to perform on Saturday? It's not. It wasn't worry as much, but it was just like I said. You, you put pressure on yourself to to play well, so that be, leads to a lot of tension. So before the game, I mean, it, it, for, in me, it led to a lot of uh, a lot of superstitions. Okay, I went through a lot of superstitions throughout my career, and it got to one point where it was just ridiculous. Go like, on. Well, I mean, even got to the point where um, I wouldn't step inside the uh, you know the, the the D outside the box because I thought it was unlucky. Or, or if I was, I mean, I, but this is the thing. I was quite, I was notorious for coming up my box. Right. Not always the right decision, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I quite like the little four-year out into the field. But um, yeah, it just gets some mad ones. Like, or if I was going going from one part of the pitch to the other, where I had to cross the line, yeah. I had to cross the line with my right foot. Okay. That's when I was conscious of it. If it was in the game and I, and, you know, I'm hearing for. So you wouldn't take a detour around the D if you were coming out to. No. All right. But it was just something that stuck in my head. Okay. If, from the first thing that woke in the morning, everything had to be the same. Mm. And uh, it wasn't until I got into my 30s, that, or about 29, 30, that I sort of 
so ridiculous it was because it was just taking over my life. Yeah. Slippery slope. It is, yeah. Yeah. Madness. Indeed so. Hey, Dungan, Opta Joe is up for an FSF award. Yeah, he is. We are. Ha. Hmm. Well, the family, the extended family, is up to Jose, up to Paolo. Yeah, there should be one for most of your favourite competitions. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's good. We recently passed a million followers, which was a pleasing, if, you know, slightly random moment. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's good. Um, and yeah. How many people are there at Opta? Depends. Obviously, the analysis of games is pretty labour-intensive. So, yeah. um, if you include all the all of those, it's you know probably hundreds. But in terms of the the stuff I do, the kind of turning the numbers into content insights, etc. The editorialising. Yeah, there's yeah. there's probably eight to ten in the UK, but then similar teams around the world. So. All right. I'm imagining that each week brings a fresh group of hopefuls lining up in your courtyard with some. Stat Sergeant Major barking at them. You want optimal, opta costs, and right here's where you start paying. What kind of selection process do, does a young hopeful have to go through to make the opta team? Well, if you're talking about the uh, actually collecting the game, those guys go through a pretty long process. I mean, really? So six months of training. Because if you think about it, they, they can't pause. You can't stop during a game. Um, they love serious injuries because they can lay down on the floor and breathe heavily. But um, they have to, they're collecting like 2,000 bits of information a match, which is quite a lot that's insane and yeah so it takes a long time I think only like 2% of the people that apply actually make it through the really the yeah. yeah that's I mean that makes the marines or top gun look easy you need obscene hand to eye coordination um, yeah I mean it's a, these it, people be great goalkeepers as well possibly yeah, yeah. although looking at their diet perhaps not so. mm. they're used to working in the net you know mm. well maybe yeah. they're drone operators as well right yeah that, they would be very suited to that actually <laughs> Yeah. So it could be a, you know, there's career progression for you. Right. <laughs> okay. What do you, what generally happens once you've, once you've, you rose through the ranks, did you? Uh, well, I've never done the kind of analysis stuff because it's too hard. You know, okay. You know, we kind of, when we started, it was all fairly uh, obscure and, and niche. And we've kind of, I mean, up to Joe's actually a big part of that. You know, it's kind of allowed us to, to speak to fans and see what, what fans like. So, you know, as, as everyone's aware, uh, if on Twitter people aren't happy about something, they're, they're usually quite quick to, um, to let you know. Do, they, do people talk back to Opta? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, I mean, I remember once putting a stat up. This goes back to what we were saying earlier about Harry Kane, actually. When Harry Kane was doing well in his first season, yeah. putting up a stat saying that at this point he had done as well as Alexis Sanchez, um, at, you know, in this time period. Right. Um, and, and what was the little word you put at the end? Uh, I think it was something fairly provocative, like equals or something like that, um, which led, led, then led to lots of people getting very... And one person said he was going to take us to court and sue us for, <laughs> for saying that Kane was as good as Alexis Sanchez. So, yeah, you, people, people take this stuff perhaps a little <laughs> bit seriously. Wow. That court action never materialised. I didn't see it. It might have been settled out of court. We will never know. Possibly. <laughs> if you want to vote for Opta Joe, and I can't believe people would ever... I, I would dare to... Cause you're kind of like the church almost, no? Of, of the, In some respect. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to give Opta Joe a vote at the FSF Awards, uh, just go to www.fsf.org.uk slash vote. Other categories are available for your votes. And, of course, early December is when we'll be handing out... I personally will be there on stage as we reward, uh, awards, celebrate the top bloggers and websites and commentators and podcasts. (laughs) Excellent. We're going to take a very quick break, then we're back on the serious stuff as we head off to Blackpool. 
tweet us at the Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Exciting game in League One this weekend. A 3-2 thriller between Blackpool and Portsmouth. Pompey coming away uh, the winners after four goals in the last 16 minutes. Not all of them, admittedly, for uh, Portsmouth. But uh, although defeated there and languishing down in 13th place in League One, Blackpool did get themselves a very big and perhaps more important victory in the last week when it was announced that they're going to be put up for sale by their infamous owners, the Oystons. After, what, 30 years now? Uh, This follows, you recall, the court case uh, settled against them last week. Uh, Christine Seddon is the chairwoman of the Blackpool Supporters Trust and she joins us now on the line. Hi, Christine. Hello. Hello there. Is the bunting out in the streets of Blackpool? (laughs) Sort of, yes. (laughs) Um, It's certainly been um, an incredible week and uh, I think it's given given us the hope that appeared to be fading really when when you've had a fight for such a long time um it's it's been really tremendous but we're very conscious that um it's a major battle won but the war is not over yet i'm afraid right in the meantime does it mean that you and other blackpool fans can actually go back to blomfield road um no it doesn't mean that i'm afraid um Obviously, we, as a, as a supporters trust, we support people's right to make their own decision about whether they attend or not. Um, but we have always, um, we have our members voted for this ethical boycott. Um, and the majority of Blackpool fans have been boycotting for some time. So if you are part of the Not A Penny More campaign, then I'm afraid we it is too early to go back. Um, at the end of the day, the Oysters still own the football club. Putting it up for sale and selling it are two different things. So I'm afraid afraid the pressure has to stay on until they have actually gone. Uh, The world is not short of terrible owners of football clubs, Christine. What has earned the Oysters their legendary status among that group? Um, I think it's it's really the, the, the cynical manipulation of, of the fans over years with all the promises and, um, you, you know, telling us how much they love the club. Certainly Owen has reckoned he was in a fan since too. And yet, as has been proved in court now, the reality is very different. Um, but I think the, the, the key has been the suing of their own fans when it became obvious what was happening and that football monies were being used for other things. There are some fans who have spent spoken out, perhaps unwisely, on social media, etc. Um, and instead of sort of taking it in the stride or speaking to them or even just giving them the chance, the chance to retract it, they've actually taken legal action against individuals. Um, and, and for most Blackpool fans, we just could, could not stomach that. that. That was the end. It was the line crossed. So, um, yeah, the, the, the whole saga has, has just been absolutely appalling. £40,000 worth of damages, I think, they were awarded against one unfortunate fan. Um, well, there was various various figures. Um, one gentleman who is a pensioner, £25,000. Um, the ex-chairman of, of the of Blackpool Supporters Trust was uh, £20,000, I think. It, it's, it's outrageous because for individuals to be faced with that kind of action, and um, you know, some people have lost their livelihoods because of it. Um, it you know, it, it's absolutely shocking and it just should not be allowed. All right, well, fingers crossed there's going to be new ownership soon. Is it something that the Blackpool Supporters Trust themselves are going to be having a go at, Christine? 
Well, um, obviously the difficulty here is that as a, as a trust, we, we haven't actually got any money. Um, we, did, we did make a proposal a couple of years ago um, where we basically used the football club's own money and said to them, look, you keep the things that you've bought, the assets, um, you bought a hotel and different things and walk away with it just leave us with the club and the stadium um and really i think at the time they tried to ridicule that but um i think now they would probably have um been wise to have engaged with us whether we can revisit that um has to be looked at i think this court judgment has obviously muddied the waters but it's certainly something we'd like to look at and we're trying to get a fighting fund going to at least get some shares in the club all right, brilliant. Christine, thank you so much for that. And uh, best of luck. We, we look forward to hearing more good news very soon. Well, thank you. And can I just say um, to everybody, if you're a football fan, please engage with the Fans Not Numbers campaign, um, trying to bring um, legislation to, to, to bring an independent body to oversee the owners of football clubs, because it isn't just our club that's struggling. So that's the, the Fans Not Numbers movement. Yes, it's a, a campaign that, that was started um, by a gentleman called Jamie Fuller, who's the CEO of Skins, um, along with um, Supporters Direct and Blackpool Supporters Trust. We launched it in September. You will hear more about it. But if you go to fansnotnumbers.org, it tells you all you need to know. It's for all football fans. Please get behind it. Brilliant. Christine, thank you very much indeed. Fans not numbers. I'd not heard of that uh, movement before, but, uh, you know, following on the news about, say, Nottingham Forest and their new ownership, sadly Matt Scott's not here to pronounce his name, but uh, anyway, uh, excellent. More on that topic in the Totally Football League show up on Tuesday with Martin Mad Dog Allen, who's a special guest. Right, everybody, just uh, tying up one or two loose ends here and, James, you've got a look on your face like there's something you want to say. Well, just one of the players who has had one of the most remarkable careers. Yes. Colin Kazim Richards. Ah. Scored for Corinthians, mm. I think was it, um, at the weekend. And uh, I think they're on the brink of, of winning the Brazilian title. There you go. What a guy. I believe he hadn't scored a goal for something like a year. Doesn't matter, Jimbo. No, no. I mean, it makes it all the more special. He spends a year travelling by boat to another bit of the world and then scores a goal. Yeah. That's good life. That's fantastic. Uh, he was called Kazim Kazim when he was in Turkey, of course. Mm. I wonder what his name is. I, hopefully he's adopted Kazimio. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. Let, let's say it is. Now, oh, Sunday night. Did you? Did anybody watch Alan Shearer's uh, Dementia documentary? I did, yes. Yeah. What do you think? Um, it was quite inconclusive, I thought. The, you know, he came to the conclusion at the end that he, he, he wouldn't stop heading of the football. Mm. Uh, he wouldn't ban it. Which, which un, until there's the the right amount of research done, then it's probably the the right course of action. Yeah, one of the interesting things about it was the fact that almost nobody in the show, apart from the wife of one of the victims, suggested that people should stop heading footballs. In fact, even the uh, American authorities who have banned heading among uh, well youth team games say there's actually nothing to do with the contact with the football. It's because when players go up for a header, they're far more likely to clash heads and thus produce a concussion that way. Well, that's it. It's, a, it's because it's more of a kid's sport and, and there's a lot more female participation in America. And I think that what the research did show was that uh, girls, and especially young girls, are more susceptible to, to concussion than boys. Mm. It's, a, it's an interesting watch. And Alan, to be fair, does ask some pretty uh, awkward questions of uh, some of his interviewees, including uh, John Terry, uh, the choice of him as, as narrator, I thought, was an interesting one. 
but then again, the documentary is very much framed as Alan's journey uh, because he's headed the ball, as he points out, an awful lot and would like to know if it means he's going to basically lose his mind, poor chap. He, well, he used to be the top-scoring uh, player with headers in Premier League history. Yeah. And when our Crouchy has overtaken him. So um, perhaps he should have banned heading about a year ago, then he'd still be the uh, top scorer. <laughs> Ah, uh, anyway, that's on the BBC iPlayer, and uh, I think, Duncan, we're now ready for you to mm. unveil the answers okay. to our exciting World Cup trivia questions. All right, mini drum roll. Um, okay, now, so... Yeah, you ask the question, we'll see what David and James yeah. have got, okay. and you at home, listener. Oh, I've forgotten what the questions are. Well, well, I'm going to read, read the, question. the questions again. Right, so, who is the only player to win or share the Golden Boot at a World Cup who played for a team that didn't make it past the first stage? I don't know, Juice Fontaine? Nope. James? I seem to remember Forlan and Muller sharing it, but um, but I'm pretty sure Uruguay got out of the group stage, so I'm wrong. <laughs> it is uh, Oleg Selenko. Right. Do you know what? Producer Ben is waving his hands in the air because he said, I think it's a Russian. Yeah. So it usually you're kind is. Of, yeah. yeah. All right, let's just see uh, how he does on the next question then, which is... Who is the only England player to score in three different World Cups? England player scoring three different World Cups. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We're really struggling here. His producer, Ben, he says, one of the Russians. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. He said Michael Owen. It what? is that era. Okay. It, but it is, in fact, David Beckham. David Beckham. Yeah, of course, yeah. Okay. Uh, penultimate question. Who is the only player to score a hat-trick in successive World Cup tournaments? In two successive World Cups? Yeah. Muller? Nope. David? I didn't specify which one. Andy <laughs> <David>? Muller. <laughs> no idea. Okay, wait, 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 because producer Ben says it's Claudio Canidja. Nope. But not far off because it was Gabriel Battistuta. Oh, there you go. Oh. And finally. And finally, this one is tricky. This one is tricky. It is, who is the only nation to have played just one single solitary game at a World Cup? Well, it's got to be when the World Cup was in a different format. Yes. I will give, I'll stages. even give you the year because okay. I'm generous. It's 1938. <sighs> Which doesn't help, does it? In, so in that was in Italy. Yeah. And somebody turned up, lost a game and went home and never was seen again. It'll be someone who was then broken up like Sudetenland or something like that <laughs> because it was subsequently no longer a kind of geographical entity. League of Nations 11. No. It was, any, unless anyone's going to guess. Well, producer Ben now says Mesopotamia. <laughs> <laughs> nope. It was the Dutch East Indies. Ah. Although we did accept Indonesia because it sort of fractured okay that, did so. people actually get those questions right i think someone got that right yeah wow which is good knowledge slash you know slightly disturbing knowledge right unless they were from the dutch east indies yeah you know. or they were a pulsating brain in a jar <laughs> yeah. yeah excellent well um many thanks uh, duncan for that and your participation today and to you too david priest and james horncastle big night ahead uh-huh which we'll be reviewing in thursday's show so uh, do make sure you join us then, listeners. Do hope you enjoy the rest of your international week, and we'll catch you Thursday. A quick reminder before you leave us, listeners, that if you want to come and see us with the shackles off, the Totally Football Show will be live at the Indigo at the O2 on Wednesday, November the 29th, with our very special guest, the comedian Kevin Bridges. All the ticket info's on our Facebook and Twitter pages, and also on the thetotallyfootballshow.com. Here's a taste of what went down when Jimbo and co. went to the Glee Club in Birmingham.
Let's have a look at one or two of your tweets. Here's Matt says, should West Brom sack Tony Pulis? Do we need to put that one to the panel? I'm not, I'm not sure. Ian, go on. I can't say that because Tony Pulis has, A, always been nice to me, B, playfully slapped my bottom in Nice. It made me feel a bit like a footballer. Which is all any journalist wants, anyway. anyway and also, it proved that he can recognise me on sight. Therefore, if you think in front of witnesses, I'm going to call for him to be sacked, you're very much mistaken. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right, they haven't... There was it two wins all season? They haven't won since August, second week of the season. Jules? Yeah, go. Big time. <gasps> Big time. Yeah? yeah? So cold. I've got no time for him. Right. <laughs> James? Well, one of the things that you hear about any kind of Tony Pulis side, and I think it's a limiting thing for uh, whatever club employs him, is that the football is so unattractive that players that clubs like West Brom now can sign because they have the Premier League money. Well, they don't want to go there mm. um, because they feel like they're you know held back by the style of football that Pulis plays. So, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's time for for West Brom maybe to move on. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? There's I mean, there, about I mean, signings, because back in the summer, Krakowiak coming, Rodriguez, Barry, Gibbs. I was really excited. Wow, I found sexy. Out they were, no, but I thought it was an EG. <laughs> I had them staying alive, yeah. you know. I was going to say. <laughs> 